Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dreaming of the world. We're joined today for Spirit in Action by singer-songwriter Brian Sergio. In addition to making all kinds of music that closely ties religious devotion to the need to actually walk a path of peace, justice, and care for creation, Brian has a special devotion to the people of Haiti. I was very fortunate to catch Brian Sergio at his home just shortly before his departure to Haiti. Brian, thanks so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm especially gratified that you agreed to talk to me today, since I think tomorrow you're taking off for Haiti, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, probably about the 40th to 50th, somewhere in there, time that I've been there. And what takes you to Haiti? Why is it that you make 40-plus trips? Um, Most people, if they got there once or twice, that would be a major accomplishment. It started about uh, 16 years ago. I just went on a trip with an organization. I was just feeling the need to kind of get outside of this culture and to uh, um, to go to the so-called third world. I would say so-called third world because Haitian friends of mine uh, asked me to stop using those terms. In fact, one friend said uh, they'd prefer it if we used the terms the, the plundered world and the plundering world because they think it's more historically accurate. So in any case, I was feeling need to get out of this culture and to be among the poorest of the poor just really for, for my own spiritual well-being. I realize it's a luxury to do that, but I found great benefit from getting outside of, of the U.S. and kind of looking back on our culture and my own life through the eyes of a different culture and uh, preferably one of the poorest cultures. Uh, so Haiti fit the bill, and I went there on a trip. One thing led to another. I developed a number of relationships with grassroots organizations there, and that, that began uh, you know, this, this long-standing relationship with various communities and uh, people who have become some of my best friends. In fact, the reason I'm going in a few days is to be the best man in a friend's wedding next week. Well, that's cool. Who's the friend, and can we wish him a happy wedding or something right here over the air? <laughs> I'm sure he would love it. I'll tell him you did that. Uh, yeah, he's a friend, actually a guy, a Haitian man. He's about 30 years old. He and I together gave birth to an organization that sponsors street kids, mostly orphans from Port-au-Prince who didn't have any place to live or to go to school or to eat every day. was uh, always looking for an organization that I could refer them to that would help them out. Couldn't find one, and so this friend of mine, we did that together, and that's been going for about eight years now. It's called SPARE, which stands for Sponsorship Program Aiding Relationships and Education. Anyway, he runs this program, and he and I become very, very good friends, and so when he decided to get married, he asked if I would come and, and uh, stand with him. So it, it, it'll be a real joyous occasion. All I know of you, Brian, is that you're a musician, and you are going to help there in Haiti. 
Are you helping specifically by doing music, or are you doing other things there? Now, I do a lot of other things. I mean, I always bring my guitar, and I wind up doing music in one way or another. You know, I've done some concerts there, but primarily what I do is two things. One is that I have relationships with a number of different grassroots organizations that I help fund and have done some community organizing and some training and help them develop capacity to do their work. These organizations are all run by Haitians, though, which is one of my principles, and, and uh, I just give them some encouragement and, and uh, as I said, some funding if and when I'm able to raise it. But working with those organizations, most of them deal either with feeding the hungry and or education. Uh, so I like to have a, a short-term, immediate focus of the work, you know, because there's such so much malnutrition and, and right now out and out starvation, but then also something that deals with a longer-term vision for Haiti's future. So education, creating jobs, uh, doing things like that. The other thing that I do is take groups of people to Haiti, and, and I really consider that probably the most powerful and far-reaching thing I can do is kind of be a bridge between that world and ours and take groups of people to, uh, to have an experience of working with and just being touched by the reality of some of the poorest people on the planet and to give the spirit a chance to bother us into uh, our next steps of, of deeper, just, and compassionate response to that reality. In fact, I'm taking a group in February of 2009, so if anybody's interested in coming, uh, they can check out my website, and there's a Brian in Haiti tab, and they'll tell you about the trip. And your website is, and they have to know that. Just my name. It's www.brian, with a Y, Brian Sergio, S-I-R-C-H-I-O, dot com. And for anyone who's curious, there's a link from my site, northernspiritradio.org. You'll have a link to Brian Sergio's website, and, you know, you can find out, and maybe Haiti is where you're called to be in February. And one of the advantages is, I think, that their temperatures are warmer than what we have here in Wisconsin during February. Yeah, well, that was pretty slick on my part, wasn't it? I always start to feel the call of some tropical place around January or February in Wisconsin. No, just kidding, but it is a great time to uh, get out of the cold for a couple of weeks. And what led you to this? Why did you care in the first place deciding to go to Haiti? And I, I'm pretty sure that it's a religious, spiritual leading, but what was it that got you going? Yeah, it all comes back ultimately to my identity as a Christian, someone who's trying to follow Jesus. I actually grew up in a very conservative uh, Republican household in New Jersey, not a particularly religious home at all, but uh, at about age 17, uh, summer after my junior year in high school, I had a conversion, much to my own surprise. I was just kind of working at a camp. It wasn't a religious camp or anything, camp in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. And there was a young woman who was a lifeguard, and uh, she was the first person I ever met who took her faith very seriously but lived it out in a way that was uh, very attractive and just down-to-earth and not. The other Christians, uh, with all due respect, came across as rather obnoxious or opportunistic to me. And she didn't. She was very much for real. Through a friendship with her, she intrigued me enough, and, and, and uh, what I saw in her caused me to want to check out the Bible and Jesus a bit for myself. I had a conversion experience through that summer, started reading the Bible, and it wasn't very long before I realized that the teachings of Jesus were in many ways antithetical to a lot of what I had grown up being taught life was about and what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a success. And among other things, his teachings on money and on relationships with the poor really touched me early on, you know, in, my, in those teen years. So that began a journey which uh, just really completely changed the whole trajectory of my life. Um, I eventually wound up going to seminary thinking that I would probably uh, go into ministry of some kind, although I wasn't sure exactly what form that would take. But then it was during seminary that my eyes were really open to uh, theologies of liberation, the biblical call to justice as well as charity, which we might talk about a little bit more in a little while. 
and I, I really began to see just that God had this thing for the poor. And so uh, I began to search out for ways in which to have more personal connection to people who are on the bottom of society or who fell through the cracks. Going to Haiti or to other, again, so-called third world places was just one of many, many different ways that I was trying to follow Christ, in a sense, and to, uh, to connect with people on the bottom. Well, speaking of following Christ, I know one of your songs is Follow Me, and it speaks about that theme and the preponderance of what Jesus actually asks us to do in the Bible. You want to say how that song came about? Sure. Actually, the song was based on an essay that I read by a retired Presbyterian minister named Ernest Campbell, who actually happened to be a, a preaching professor of mine at seminary also. Ernest wrote this essay where he distinguished between following Jesus and believing in Christ in this little book called Beyond Guilt and Powerlessness. And that essay just really nailed me. I I read it actually in preparation for a trip to Bosnia in the mid-90s to go stand and be with some people who were in the midst of the warfare there. And so the second verse of the song is almost lifted verbatim from, from this little essay of Ernest's. But he just basically said, you know, you can believe all the right stuff about Jesus, what he would refer to as believing in Christ. But that trying to say, you know, that I'm following Jesus or trying to with the Spirit's help, that's a lifestyle statement. It gets into everything, and it will totally change the agenda of your life. So it was just thinking about those things. And then at the very same time, I met an Australian evangelist named John Smith, who did a word study of the Greek verb for follow in the Gospels and counted 87 times when Jesus said, follow me. And he loved to make the point in his preaching that Jesus said, you must be born again only once. And it's alluded to maybe a second time, but he always made the comparison, you know, 87 versus one. Maybe we've gotten the essence of what it means to be a Christian askew in certain circles. So that intrigued me, and that's what led to the song. Well, let's listen to the song. The song is Follow Me, and it's by my guest for today's Spirit in Action, Brian Sergio. I met this preacher from Australia. He read the Bible searching for its dominant themes. And he counted 87 times when Jesus said, Follow me. You know that got me thinking. Maybe that's the bottom line of what Christian means. I follow Jesus is deeper than I believe Because it don't take much to mentally agree With a set of beliefs written down in some creed Now don't get it wrong, we need to know what we believe But lately I've been wondering Am I following Jesus? Or just believing in Christ? Cause I can believe and not change a thing Following will change my whole life He never said, come acknowledge my existence Or believe in me, I'm the second person of the Trinity But 87 times he said, come follow me Such a good life insurance risk And why when I do my giving Do I still keep so much When so much hunger exists If I follow Jesus Why do I have so many friends Among the affluent And so few among the poor And if I follow Jesus Why do missiles and guns Make me feel more secure And it don't take much To mentally ascend To a statement of faith We can confirm and forget Following will change our lifestyle if we get it And more and more I'm wondering Am I 
following Jesus, just believing in Christ. Cause I can believe and not change a thing. Following could cost me my life. He never said, come acknowledge my existence or believe in me. I'm the second person of the Trinity. But 87 times he said, come follow me. Yes, we need to know what we believe To follow the Jesus who's real Oh God, save us from the Christ we create in our image You know what I mean? When Jesus who's as left wing or right wing as we The one who baptizes our cherished ideologies The one who always seems to favor our side against some enemy sound self-righteous God knows I've got more questions than answers to proclaim but it's been over 20 years now since Jesus called my name so forgive me if I'm mistaken there's something wrong with a lot of churches in America these days and I think the Spirit's trying to tell us that there's a question that the churches need to raise are we following Jesus just believing in Christ Cause we can believe and not change a thing The following will change our whole life He never said, come acknowledge my existence Or believe in me, I'm your first class ticket to eternity But 87 times he said, follow me Follow Me by Brian Sergio. But Brian, do you have a specific religious affiliation? Did you actually finish seminary? Yeah, I graduated from seminary. I went to Princeton and uh, finished, got an MDiv there, and then I served two small churches in northern Wisconsin in the United Church of Christ. Um, so I'm an ordained United Church of Christ minister, and I was in northern Wisconsin over a little town called Elko and another one by Kempster. And I was there for about four years, and then left that in 1987, and that's when I, when I started my uh, freelance musical ministry, which I call Crosswind Music Ministries, and been doing that ever since. You know, your work that you're doing with Haiti, it sounds like you should have had some training as a social worker. Did you have some kind of background that made you especially good at organizing, doing financing, uh, getting these programs started? You know, I, I wish I did. I, I just learned a lot of things the hard way. What I did have combined with just the natural gifts and abilities and knowledge of their communities that my Haitian friends had uh, was enough to help build some organizations. But I learned a lot of things the hard way, made plenty of mistakes, you know, made a lot of the classic uh, errors that that, uh, missionaries make. And I'm happy to say that I, over the years, have developed a whole different way of understanding how to do cross-cultural mission work with respect honoring the dignity of, uh, of people that I'm working with. And it's been a great learning experience for me. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, in Togo, and so I had probably some experiences comparable to what you had. 
And one of the things that was a tremendous adjustment for me is what to do about beggars in the street. I've had a number of different experiences that tug me in different directions. So how did you deal with that? That always comes up on every trip that I take. And even when I go by myself, it's something that I have to deal with all the time. And I I don't have an easy answer. In general, though, I mean, what people have taught me, I guess people that, that I know and trust and who live in Haiti, who have worked with people there and Haitians themselves, who say that responding to beggars more times than not is not a helpful solution, that in many ways it keeps people in the street thinking that that's where their hope is. And as I say in the song we're about to hear, it just kind of perpetuates their dependency in, in that way. And so I, as a basic policy, I encourage people not to give to beggars and to say no in those situations and instead to try to find organizations we can work with that we can say to someone on the street, look, go to such and such an address, ask for so-and-so. They have an organization that can help you in an ongoing sense and maybe help you get down to some of the root causes with why you're in the street to begin with. That being said, though, Mark, I ultimately always just listen to the Spirit. And, you know, I think of Jesus' teachings where he said, give to those who beg from you. I think of the golden rule that says, you know, treat people the way you'd like to be treated. If if I were hungry, if my children hadn't eaten for days, if I had to listen to my kids cry themselves to sleep, and I saw someone who obviously had more than enough, would I go up and beg, and would I hope that they might just give me something so I could go home that day and feed my family? Heck yeah. So what I finally have accepted is that there's just never going to be a clean solution to that for me. So my basic principle is I don't encourage people to give to beggars. And yet, if and when the Spirit just breaks my heart open and says, look, feed this guy or whatever, then, yeah, I break my own principles for the sake of love pretty regularly. I think the song that you're referring to is called I See You. Shall we play that? And which CD is that on? That's on one called Songs for Justice Walkers. The song is I See You. On the last night of a trip I took to Haiti I was driving down this crowded city street I can still see the diesel fumes lingering in the headlights I can still see that little girl's bare feet She was wearing a tattered yellow dress She was four or five years old, I would guess Another orphan street kid Working hard to just survive To be honest, I was hoping to drive right by But the traffic was gridlocked to a standstill And when she noticed my white skin, she came real my window and then with one little hand she pointed back and forth from her belly to her lips at first she seemed a little bit too practiced at pulling strings of guilt and sympathy and then I'm not sure why but I looked right into her eyes as I did, these words washed over me. 
I See You by Brian Sertio. Excellent song, Brian. And I've certainly been through the same emotions, the feelings. You know, part of the advice there that I think uh, I just want to offer my support to is where you found clearness there to not pretend she wasn't there. And that's really hard to do. I mean, I think that we should recognize that if we have to pretend something's not true, that is true, that it's staring us in the face, then there's something in us that isn't right, that hasn't settled, that isn't listening to spirit. At least that's how I interpret what you said there. Of course, I want your opinion on it. Mm, I, that's beautifully said. No, I agree. And, and, you know, a lot of times people, when they hear songs like that, they say, you know, I, I don't know if I could handle this. I don't, I don't know if I could handle going to Haiti and break my heart, etc. And one of the things I say that dovetails nicely with what you just said is that I don't think that, I mean, if we're alive in the spirit and trying to live life on that level, I don't think we ever need to be afraid to deal with reality, to deal simply with what is. And I find that God and spirit always enables me to have the buoyancy of heart and soul to be able to deal joyfully, actually. I mean, it sounds kind of paradoxical, but I think there's a certain joy in dealing with life on its own terms, even the painful stuff. So, yeah, I, I just completely agree with you that the willingness to stare at life as it really is, especially the brokenness and the heartache of so many people, as well as the joy and the, and the beauty, is just a really, really important thing. You mentioned, Brian, that your 17-year-old experience, part of the words that you said included that you had some kind of, maybe I say disdain, uh, dislike, for a kind of a self-righteous, smug, I, I'm putting words in your mouth here, you can tell me what they are, but you looked at a number of people who called themselves Christians, and you weren't very envious of being like them. 
but this young woman you met somehow struck you as different. Was activism, was engagement part of that difference? I'm trying to figure out why she was different and, you know, why it's just not all the Christians who take Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. What's so nice about the witness or the being of the people that I think you gravitate towards? Interesting question, Mark. This particular young woman, her name is Allison, Allison Lamont, and it was uh, many, many years ago. I've been trying to find her ever since. And after that summer, I, I lost track of her and have never been able to track her down, even with computer help and stuff. But no, you know what was different? It just It's very simple. She was so full of love. And it, I mean, it was way past just being nice. There was something very, very different about her. And, you know, I was at this camp in the summertime with a bunch of other teenagers, and I just went there to have a good time. And like any group of, of human beings, uh, let alone teenagers, uh, there were all kinds of cliques, and there were people that were mean to people. And so it wasn't any kind of activism in a social justice sense or anything. It was more interpersonal activism, where she just refused to be cruel and to play along with the games that people so often play. And on the positive side, it was just, I mean, talk about I see you. She was the kind of person that always noticed who was left out, or somebody who was hurt, or somebody who was often alone, and she, in a very quiet, down-to-earth way, without preaching, without even mentioning God, she was just always reaching out. So in that sense, I mean, it, I mean to me, that's what activism ultimately is. It's, it's, it's love. You know, it's love in action, as Mother Teresa put it. Um, that's what service is. That's how she defines service. She was just always reaching out in love. And she didn't realize that I was watching, but, you know, I had known other Christians, and, yeah, they were, by and large, either self-righteous or just downright obnoxious, or people that had an agenda all the time to sort of close the deal with somebody, to get somebody to believe something, whereas Allison's focus was simply to love people as they were, to make them feel included, to make them feel accepted. And, you know, there was a part of me, without even realizing it, that was just hungry for that and very attracted to the way she interacted with people. And so, I, you know, I finally went up to her and just said, hey, you're a really beautiful person. I've never seen anybody who's as, as consistently kind as you. And she just kind of smiled and said, you know, thanks. And what, but what I think you're really noticing is God's spirit in me. And at first I thought, okay, here comes the sermon. But that's all she said. And then I'm thinking, you know, why can't these Christians just take a compliment, you know? But she was just so real, I think, is what it came down to. She didn't use buzzwords. She didn't come at me with some, you know, agenda, again, to try to convert me. She just loved me and everybody else, too. So that's getting back to, you know, working in Haiti or wherever or any kind of activism um, or any kind of evangelism, for that matter. I think the most effective evangelism or sharing of spirit with people is just living in such a way that someone else might be compelled to ask for an explanation. And yeah, that's what she did. That it, it, you know, I'm very grateful. I mean, she was the one that God used to open my eyes to the possibility that there might be something really gritty and real in this whole religion thing that I had not been open to, that I hadn't seen. And uh, all I really needed was to see something real and loving in one person's life to begin a process of exploration myself. We have a phrase that is commonly used amongst Quakers. We say, let your life speak. And that's how we attempt to do it. So we don't tend to proselytize, evangelize. A lot of people don't even have any idea who's a Quaker. And then we get criticism that, you know, we've got this really good thing going. Why aren't we sharing it? So people say, why don't you preach what you practice? So damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess. Yeah. 
Reminds me of the, of the St. Francis, you know, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. Absolutely. One of the problems that I've had personally, I mean, I was raised Catholic, I've been Quaker for the last 30 years, but one of the problems that I had with a number of people who referred to themselves as Christian was that they said their beliefs, but then they would do things, you know, be warlike, or, or maybe they'd destroy the environment, or whatever, they would just do that completely heedless, as if their fact that they were saved gave them carte blanche to destroy the world around us. And that was a disinclination for me to be involved with religion. That, In fact, that made me less eager to be part of their ranks. Did you have some of that experience leading up to the 17, or maybe that's all a thing of the past since you've been involved with the UCC? Well, I mean, interestingly enough, for, I mean, for me, I didn't notice that kind of thing prior to my conversion experience when I was 17. But what happened was, you know, I had this uh, this transformation this, this summer. That's where it began. And I came back from that summer from my senior year in high school and figured, well, I, what do I do now? You know, Allison's gone, and, and uh, I, I, maybe I should go to church or something. That began a process of me kind of dipping my foot in the water of a lot of different denominations. And initially, it was a very evangelical or, or more fundamentalist group that I got involved with. And along with that, and I have mixed feelings about all that in retrospect, because on the positive side, there's some really loving, extremely sincere people. They taught me how to, how to love the Bible, have deep respect for Scripture, etc., and just really loved me into this fellowship. On the negative side, though, there was a whole subculture and political worldview that it took me a few years to realize I didn't feel was really deeply in sync with the biblical corpus itself. And so what happened for me, it was what I sometimes refer to as churchianity that I began to have some real problems with. And again, some of the smugness and the self-righteousness, and then getting back to what you were saying, a whole lot of attitudes politically, I mean, that this whole notion that you almost had to be Republican, for example. Now, you know, this is not a put down of Republicanism, but did you almost, if you were a Christian, you had to be a Republican. You know, I, I began to question those things. And you mentioned the environment. There was just a rather cavalier attitude toward the earth, toward creation, toward the environment in general. Environmental concerns were looked down upon as a liberal brainwashing or something. All I can say was early on, I wasn't adept enough at scriptural interpretation or just who I was becoming spiritually myself to take that stuff on, but I just always knew it felt like a shoe that didn't fit, that something didn't pass the smell test somehow to me. And so now, you know, years later, having worked with all this stuff a lot, I realized that I think that the church, much of the church, has, uh, especially the, the more evangelical forms, and again, I, I'm not trying to put any group down. There, and every, there are lots of waking up all over the place to these issues now. But earlier on in my journey, I think there was a, a very tragic misunderstanding of the Genesis accounts, for example, and the implications for environmental stewardship. You know, that famous verse about to subdue the earth, where God, in essence, gave humankind dominion over the earth. That became, historically, a license to exploit the earth for profit. And I think that's a tragic misunderstanding of humankind's role in the order of things biblically, that we're really meant to be... Uh, gardeners and uh, tillers of the soil, keepers of the soil, and to respect the earth as a precious gift, and to understand that we are, are simply uh, a, a part of the earth and not its uh, lord as such. So I've spent a lot of time reworking with that and trying to educate myself. Bottom line is, there's a few things that speak to many people's hearts spiritually more deeply 
than the beauty of the earth. If we believe that the earth is a gift from a loving creator, it seems to me that treating it with care and with dignity and with, with reverence, really, is the only thing that makes any sense. So um, that probably would be a good way to set up the song Green World that I'd love for you to play. I agree. It is a good way, and so let's play it. The song is Green World, and it's from Songs for Justice Walkers by Brian Sergio. Sometimes the earth and its beauty Hits me so hard that it almost hurts God, you are some kind of artist And I'm a big fan of your handiwork When I see a pastel sunset It's like God is signing God's name Another magnificent, one of a kind Worth more than this whole world could pay God made this green world green Air and water clean We come from the earth And to earth we will return Let's go back to Genesis 2 and relearn Humans are here in the garden to serve Service is the purpose of God-given power We are more the earth's than earth is ours We are more the earth's than earth is ours God gave dominion to humans You know, I don't think that God ever had in mind A license to take the earth prisoner And a locker in chains made of dollar signs The earth in its fullness is Yahweh's Stamp that verse in our property rights Cause that means that the land is not ours to exploit It's just placed in our care for a while God made this green world green Air and water clean We come from the earth And to earth we will return Let's go back to Genesis 2 and relearn Humans are here in the garden to serve And service is the purpose of God-given power We are more the earth's than earth is ours We are more the earth's than earth is ours There's a demon named corporate pollution And its minions reach deep in the government And some folks just mimic Rush Limbaugh Saying there's no crisis in the environment God knows we're wounding this planet One styrofoam cup One toxic waste dump One acid raindrop One oil tank spill One SUV war One trip to the star at a time And maybe it's time we disciples of Christ Worked harder to live greener lives God made this green world green Air and water clean We come from the earth, and to earth we will return. Let's go back to Genesis 2 and relearn. Humans are here in the garden to serve. Service is the purpose of God-given power. And we are more the earth's 
then earth is ours. Yes, we are more the earth's than earth is ours. We are more the earth's than earth is ours. We are more the earth's than earth is ours. Green World, Brian Sergio, who's with us here today for Spirit in Action, put that one together. With all your trips to Haiti, I'm figuring, Brian, that what you really wish that you could do is provide jobs for them all so that they would have their self-worth, they'd have future income, not just whatever bread you could put in their hands. Is there a movement in that direction? I mean, we export a lot of jobs over to Indonesia or Thailand or every which way. Do they just not go to Haiti? Well, historically, a lot of jobs have gone to Haiti, but unfortunately, I mean, they're controversial at best. I mean, Haiti has been one of the, the primary places where the whole reality of, of sweatshop labor has unfolded. Rawlings used to make all their baseballs in Haiti years ago, and um, I'm always very careful when it comes to talking about sweatshop labor and that, that kind of issue, because the last thing I want to do is to point the finger at a company and have them cut and run, because as unjust as the wages that they pay in countries like Haiti and so many other places are, people are so desperate that they will work for next to nothing, and I don't want to be the one to take a job away from them, even if it's an exploitative job. So I'm always careful about this. But I do believe that the creation of jobs and work is absolutely essential. To me, that's the most dignified way to get out of poverty or to help people climb out of poverty, or as President Aristide, former President Aristide in Haiti used to say, to simply move from misery to poverty. They need work. And I think just human beings, for us to have a sense of dignity and purpose and to feel like we're using the gifts that have been given to us, I mean, work is just a really important thing. And I'm very, very mindful of people in our culture now in these economic times who are experiencing joblessness at rates that we haven't seen in a long, long time. But getting back to the sweatshop labor thing, I've also been pretty active in challenging that, and I feel like there need to be international standards that corporations, international corporations, are held to with independent monitoring groups that can go into factories and check out the situations, because the reality in sweatshops in Haiti and, and all over the world is a pretty heinous violation of human rights. Yeah, that probably would lead well into one of my sweatshop labor songs. I've got a few different ones that I have written over the years trying to address this reality. And I think, you know, one of the most important things we can do, and it's really happening more and more. Uh, I mean, 10 years ago, this would have been news to a lot of people. Now just about everybody knows the reality of our clothes, for example, textiles being made overseas and why. It's because there aren't labor laws there. There aren't environmental laws and any number of child labor laws, all those kinds of things. And so it's it's all about finding desperate people and exploiting them. You know, that being said, I'm not against international labor. I mean, I'd certainly like to see companies uh, do business in the United States and, and to uh, work with labor organizations here and create great jobs for people here. But uh, I have no problem with companies uh, doing offshore assembly, et cetera, as long as they do it according to some decent standards in terms of human rights and pay people what I would consider to be a living wage. And all I'm really asking about there is, or focusing on, is that uh, if somebody works full time, I think they ought to be able to eat and pay their bills and, and live at just some modest, very modest level. And in places like Haiti, 
you know, countries have historically gone there and paid people so next to nothing so that even if they are working full-time, they can't feed their families. To me, that's just another form of slavery. Yeah, pretty serious. So, Brian, you've written, as you mentioned, a couple songs related to sweatshop issues, and one of them was Dear Mr. Eisner, which was about the uh, CEO, I guess, of Disney. I guess he's no longer with them. The thing that blew my mind in that one was just the per hourly rate. Well, what's the number compared to what they pay in a sweatshop? Isn't it in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour for him and a couple dollars per day for the people in the sweatshop, something like that? Right. Of course, Michael Eisner and CEOs of companies like Disney don't get paid by the hour. But where I got these figures was from the National Labor Committee years ago. And uh, when I was working in Haiti and, and developed some friendships with people that were working in some of these sweatshops, one that made Pocahontas pajamas for Disney through subcontract labor, of course, but it was all about Disney's network. And, and they were making uh, 11 cents an hour at this sweatshop. And so then I found out through the National Labor Committee that at that time, if you got all of Michael Eisner's options, et cetera, and his annual income and boiled it down to an hourly wage, it came to $97,000 an hour. So that juxtaposition of 97000 at the top and $0.11 cents an hour at the bottom, uh, by any standards, but certainly by my biblical worldview, you know, was a gross injustice to me. So the song really was a response to that. But as you said, it's getting a little bit dated now since he's no longer the CEO of, uh, of Disney. So maybe we should play your other song, the one called i Just Like to Know. You say in the title that you'd just like to know, but I had the sense that once you knew, you'd also be taking action too, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, would, I would. Actually, this song, i Just Like to Know, was written to be part of the National Labor Committee's campaign called The Right to Know. And they were trying to get legislation passed. It wasn't successful, unfortunately, but trying to get legislation passed that would require companies who use subcontract labor in developing countries to disclose the names of the factories where they are and to open their doors to human rights monitoring groups. Um, so this song was really uh, part of that and uh, got used a little bit for bumper music on radio interviews and things like that. I think it's time to listen to it. The song is i Just Like to Know, Ryan Sergio singing it to us. I don't mind you trying to maximize your profits And I'm not trying to take a dime from your pocket I don't want to see anyone lose a job I've no intention to stage a boycott I just like to know where my money goes I just like to know there's a sweat stain hidden in the clothes I buy Tell me why If you got nothing to hide You don't disclose the names Of the factories that you use Open up their doors To an independent human rights group If there's a reason why you won't I'd just like to know Disney, Nike, Guess, and JCPenney I can't name them all There's just too many And I know these markets are competitive by nature Well, I am not saying you shouldn't use third world labor I just like to know where my money goes 
just like to know if there's a sweat stain hidden in the clothes I buy. Tell me why. If you got nothing to hide, you don't disclose the names of the factories that you use. Open up their doors to an independent human rights group. If there's a reason why you won't, I'd just like to know. Just like the gold, yeah. Tell me, please, what's with these offshore factories? With barbed wire fences and guns at the gate. Tell us, please, we need to know exactly how our clothes are made and what kind of wage those workers get paid, yeah. Let's bring it all to the light of day. I don't mind you trying to maximize your profits. And I'm not trying to take a dime from your pocket. I don't want to see anyone lose a job. But I have no intention to stay the boycott. I just like to know. Where my money goes I'd just like to know If there's a sweat stain Hidden in the clothes I buy Tell me why If you got nothing to hide You don't disclose the names Of the factories that you use Open up their doors To an independent human rights group If there's a reason why you won't just like to know. I just like to know, yeah. I just like this small world after all. Can't do business in the shadows. It's a small world after all. Can't do business in the shadows. What you do in the never That's I Just Like to Know, Brian Sergio, who's my guest here today for Spirit in Action. This is, of course, a Northern Spirit radio production. And so you can find a link to Brian's site, which is briansergio.com. You can go directly to that if you know how to spell both his first and his last name. But otherwise, it might be easier to go to northernspiritradio.org. And there you'll find a link to Brian's and the other guests I've had on. You can listen to this program over and over again via my site. And Brian, I know we've got just a little bit more time. You're very involved in a whole range of what people normally think of as social justice-type issues. And you said that early on this wasn't a focus, but somehow you got connected with people who are strong for Christ and strong on these issues. How did that come about? You know, having not grown up in a church-going family or anything, I... I almost had an advantage, or sometimes it seems that way, in that I didn't have a certain kind of Christianity that I had to somehow recover from in order to discover another kind. You know, So I came to the Bible with a fresh set of eyes. I hadn't heard the stories growing up. I wasn't very familiar with it. So early on, really, just reading Scripture from me, reading the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, right away began to suggest to me 
that much of what I had been taught I had to either unlearn or rethink. And certainly Jesus' teachings, I mean, I think of, of uh, the teachings of, of, of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, where there's this rich man who feasts every day and that, and that there's a poor man with open sores at his gate, you know, longed to feed himself in the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. It was just that juxtaposition of wealth and poverty there. Those kinds of things really hit me hard. And I thought, man, I've never heard any of this. But it began to raise all kinds of questions for me. And so uh, I just started asking a whole lot of questions about, well, since the Bible and Jesus' teachings in particular so often talked about people who were poor and God's love for them, then how'd they get that way? I mean, why are people poor and, and what can we do about it? So the love of Christ or God, the Spirit in me, just kept on pushing me in a direction. It simply made sense for me to start asking questions, uh, socioeconomic questions about why people were on the bottom, why groups of people were on the bottom, and how I could somehow be a part of a loving response to that. But then that led me, once I got to seminary, um, seminary the best part of seminary education for me was the other students. And uh, there was one student in particular, an African-American man from Pittsburgh, who really kind of, he was about eight years older than I, and, uh, and he saw that my heart was really open, that I was asking a lot of these questions, and he had grown up a very poor person from an inner city in Pittsburgh and uh, had a tough life as a black man in our culture, and he just kind of took me under his wing, said, you know, let me show you some of the, the teachings of the prophets and what these things feel like from my perspective and what I hear here, and went back to the Exodus and talked about God that hears the cries of the poor, how being liberated from slavery was how it was, was one of the foundational experiences of the Hebrew people. And so there were people like him who really opened my eyes, and I just got a great education, and I've just been hungry for more insights, you know, asking the question, not just what can we do to feed a hungry person, for example, but asking those questions, you know, how did they get hungry in the first place? In other words, the difference between charity, which churches tend to be pretty good at, and justice, though, which gets more controversial and more difficult, which uh, is about asking what are the root causes of someone's destitution, uh, how have they been exploited or, or oppressed, and what can be done about that. I know it's about time for you to go, Brian. Uh, we should finish off with one more song. Why don't you reach into your, I think, 10 CDs worth of music and pick out one to conclude this Spirit in Action program with? Okay, I think maybe the song Dream God's Dream, uh, which is on my Artist's Hand CD and also on the Jaywalking compilation. I- I've done a lot of work. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., well, the organization that I originally went to Haiti with and was actually uh, on part-time staff with for a while was an outgrowth of the Church of the Savior. And so I've been privileged to get to know the, those folks pretty well. Gordon Cosby, the founding pastor, rather, of Church of the Savior, is a good friend of mine. Gordon said something one time that impacted me deeply. He said, you know, none of us, especially no one individual, can somehow fix the problems of the world uh, as much as we wish we could. But he said, we, we need to let go of this fixing thing and instead just realize that what God calls us to is to, to faithful and loving response to the brokenness and the, the realities of the world. Um, and he said, what, what all of us can do is figure out what little piece of God's dream for the world is ours to carry. And then to do that with as much passion and vitality and joy and sense of adventure as we possibly can. And so, that, you know, that really hit me. That we can all do that. You know, figure out what little piece of God's dream of shalom, of justice and peace for the world, what's ours to carry. 
that's probably a good intro to this last song. And you also, I wrote this song initially years ago as the theme song for a retreat based on the life and the witness of Martin Luther King Jr. And just reflecting on how the dream that Dr. King had was actually God's dream. Dream God's dream Holy Spirit help us dream Of a world where there is justice And where everyone is free To build and grow and love And to simply have enough The world will change When we dream God's dream Where the color of one's skin Will mean less than what's within that person's heart A world where water's clean And where air is safe to breathe And every child born Has enough to eat Dream God's dream Holy Spirit, help us dream of a world where there is justice and where everyone is free to build and grow and love and to simply have enough. The world will change when we dream God's dream. God is offering to me How to use my energy and my best gifts To do the work of Christ To say, God, please use my life To spread your healing love And to live your truth Dream God's dream Holy Spirit, help us dream of a world where there is justice and where everyone is free to build and grow and love and to simply have enough. The world will change when we dream God's dream. That I want my life to go I've got hopes and I've got goals I'd like to meet And I'm gonna reach high for the stars But I won't forget the scars Of Christ who died to show That the dream's for all Dream God's dream Holy Spirit, help us dream Of a world where there is justice And where everyone is free To build and grow and love And to simply have enough The world will change when we dream
That was Dream God's Dream. And it's the last song that we have time for today from my guest for today's Spirit in Action. His name is Brian Sergio. And you're taking off, what, just a day or two for Haiti? That's right. Yeah, I'll be there uh, for a week. Then again in February. Again, if anybody's out there who's interested in going to Haiti with me in February, check out the website. Well, have a great time there and take our prayers with you. Again, hopefully some listeners will be joining you in February as you head off to Haiti to witness, to be changed, and to help change happen. So thanks again for your music and for your time here today. Thank you, Mark. It was really a pleasure for me to be with you. That was singer-songwriter Brian Sergio, today's Spirit in Action guest. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.